Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to be with you. Psalm 92 and 1 says, It's good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your holy name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every single night. It's good. It's good to do that. It's good to be in the house of the Lord and do that with you. It's good to be here and be able to do that with you online, however way, whatever way we can, however we need to do it. That's what we're going to do. So, all right. So good to have you today. Good to be in worship with you. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for coming and singing and worship. Thank you, worship team, for leading us um, in in some beautiful songs that, that remind us of who God is and who we are in God. So thank you so much. Thank you for coming out and being a part of our service today, everybody. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to a passage of Scripture I think you may have read before. Maybe. Psalm 23. How many of y'all read Psalm 23 before? All right. All right. Psalm 23. We are going to start there. I gave Jill a barrage of passage of scriptures, so I don't. We probably won't get to all of them today. I don't know, but we are going to start here, and in just a minute, we're going to go to Psalm ninety-one. How many of you like Psalm ninety-one? Amen. It's one of my favorites as well. But we're going to talk about the keys to these things. Last week, we had um, I had kind of set up a a new series that we're going to be going through, and it's the series that is where God wants me to teach you how to walk with him. Uh, it's, it's one thing just to say God moved in my life one time, and that's great. We give praise for that. But I just have this belief, and maybe I'm way out in left field. Maybe I'm, I'm totally missing it. But I just have this belief that God wants to work in your life every single day. I mean, I, I just think he loves us that way. I just think he wants to be a part of us that way. I think he I think so. Not only that, but I know so through his scripture and through his word that he wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. And you know, to be honest with you, I'm tired of us including myself trying to compartmentalize God and put him in this spot over here and then I only bring him out whenever I need him, kind of like fine china, right? How many of you again fine china that's got dust all over it because you're afraid to use it? Or you don't want to use it, you don't want to have to clean it up, right? Instead, you, you go to the dollar store and you get paper plates. <laughs> and it's easier, I get it, I know that, I, I realize that. It's easier to just throw it away and move on, but you know what? You can't just throw some things away. Some things, you got you got to work with it. Well, I think God wants to be in our life every single day, and so... And we're going to learn today on how to dwell with God. How to dwell with God. We kind of talked about how, how now is the time to, to worship in spirit and in truth last week. And how that leads to uh, Jesus teaching us how to 
walk with him just as he did with his disciples. You know, he could have just came and went to the cross, did his thing and moved on. But instead, he went and, and, and got crazy people like fishermen. Right? No, no, anybody a fisherman? No offense to you. Jimmy, I know if you're watching, right? Uh, no offense to any of you who are fishermen. But he came and he got crazy people that don't even fit. Don't even fit with the religious system. And he taught them not how to fit in with the religious system, but how to walk with Him daily. Every single day. Uh, and uh, there's, In fact, there's one passage of Scripture that I think we kind of miss the interpretation of if we're not careful. And it's that passage where someone comes to Jesus and says, Hey, I want to hang with you for a while. And Jesus says, well, you don't really know what you're saying because foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. And, and we read in Scripture how that kind of made that person step back and go, ooh, well, wait a minute, maybe this is not what I thought it was. And, and you know what? I, I don't think it is what he thought it was. I think it's much deeper and much greater than that. The reason why Jesus says, hey, if you hang with me and if you walk with me, it's not about a nest or a hole or a den. It's about realizing that I am your refuge and I am your shelter and I'm the one that will cover you with my presence and my wings no matter where you're at. Where You could be in a storm and still be covered. Maybe not by a physical roof, but by my presence and my grace and my love and my mercy. That's what it's about. That's why he said, hey, if you hang with me, it's not about finding a comfortable existence. It's about realizing that I am your shelter. I am your shield. I am your refuge. I'm everything you need me to be. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, come learn to dwell with me. Come learn to dwell with me. And there was a little debate from, the, from the, the Samaritans and the Jewish people about where the true temple is. And Jesus is trying to show them that He is the true temple. Right? And that points us all the way back to the Old Testament tabernacle. How many of you have ever studied the Old Testament tabernacle? It's a wonderful study. Why? Because it is the first big picture of Jesus Christ and all of the ministries that He does for us in that Old Testament tabernacle. It coincides with us today more so than the temple because the Old Testament tabernacle was built in the wilderness. Okay, It was built in the wilderness. How many of you realize we're in the wilderness right now? And we're in this life passing through from birth into a new promised land, if you will, one day. Well, as we are moving through this, this wilderness of a life, we have a promise that God is with us. And He is with us just the way as He was with the Israelites. And one of the ways He was with the Israelites was in the way He showed up in the tabernacle, which was a system of worship. He taught His people how to worship in the midst of the wilderness. And I'm here to tell you, if you need to learn anything, if you need to do anything at all right now, in, in this day, in this season, in this time, you need to learn, if you haven't already done so, you need to learn how to worship. 
I mean, in spirit and in truth, right now, wherever you're at, however, whatever's going on in your life and whatever's going on in your heart and in your mind and in your family and in your body, you need to learn how to worship right now. Now is the time to truly learn how to worship. And if you already have learned how to worship, if you're, if you're looking at me and saying, well, Pastor, I know how to worship. Great! Do it! Do it with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And I promise you, you'll get to see some differences in your life. Without further ado, Psalm 23. Some of y'all thought, he ain't never going to get there. Here I am. Ha ha. Psalm 23. Good to have you. Good to be here with you. Thank you so much for being here. Psalm 23. If you got it, say, I got it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. For he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And here's the part I want to get to. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What if God wants, you, wants this to be a part of your life before your funeral? What if God wants this to be evident and true and real in your life before the preacher says some stuff over you, over your clay vessel that's there in a casket? God wants you, when, he, when, when, when David penned this, he didn't pin this to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He didn't pin this for some future event. He pinned this realizing that no matter, even if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with Him and I'm able to dwell with Him forever. Everybody say dwell. dwell. Now everybody join with me in prayer one more time for God's blessing to be upon our hearts to receive the blessed word He's giving. Father, we thank You. We love You. We honor you. You are the guest of honor here today. We do what you want done. We say what you want said. We sing what you want sung. We worship you. Not some, some man or some, some ways of man. We worship you. We, we lay it at your feet. These gifts and these crowns that are upon our head, we lay them down at your feet. Singing holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And we pray that You come. Oh God, we pray that You come. We pray that You come in this Word. We pray that You come in this service. We pray that You come in our worship. We pray that You come in our country. We pray that You come in this next vote. We pray that You come and You settle and You bring peace to the land again. We pray that You come. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, dwell. It's an important 
It's an important aspect that I think a lot of times we forget. And we love Psalm 23. I love Psalm 23. I, I do use it a lot at funerals because it is a, a beautiful promise. It is a beautiful promise for people to hold on to. It's a promise that David walked out and David learned. And David learned how, how it is in those dark, shadowy moments of our life that we get really personal and really close with God. How many of you can give God praise for going through some messes? Oh, I know that takes some faith. But how many of you can look back on your life and see a mess and you can go, praise God, I was not in that mess by myself. Belinda's raising her hand because she has to, because it's broken, right? <laughs> but we all say that because of our brokenness too. How I look back over my life to say, oh my goodness, had God not showed up in my life when He did, even at times I didn't beg for Him to, He still showed up and still did amazing things. Why? Because that's the kind of God He is. That's the kind of God that He is. And forgive me for the times I'm not so aware of it. You know, I pray for my family every single day. Every single day I pray for my family. Every single day and every single night I pray for my family. I, my family needs a lot of prayer. <laughs> right? Somebody says because they have to put up with me. Yes, that's part of it. <laughs> that is a huge part of it. Absolutely so. In fact, I was talking with one of the teachers that works with Stephanie the other day, saying, yes, pray for us, because yes, they, they have to deal with me every day, and it's a huge, huge undertaking. I, I get that. But I pray for them every single day, and one of the things that I pray for them every single morning is this. God, make them aware that you are with them. It's, not, it's, it's one thing to say, eh, I know God's with me and I love Him from a distance. Like the old Bette Midler song, right? From a distance He watches over us. But I, I, I think it's more intimate than that. That yeah, from a distance He's there, but I think He's wanting to grow closer and teach us how to dwell with Him and be aware of His presence. And when we are aware of it, we learn how to dwell. There's a difference in dwelling there. There's a difference in going to visit the tabernacle, the temple, the church, His presence. There's a difference in going and visiting, right? And dwelling. And we all have visitors, right? We all get visitors. Um, visitors will wear you out. Right? Because you actually, you, you have to try to entertain visitors. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? When you have visitors, you've got to kind of entertain. And then once they're gone, you're like, oh, thank Jesus, it's gone. <laughs> oh, I was glad to have them. But praise God, my life gets back to normal at least a little bit. Right? Well, what if God wants him to, what if, what if he wants his presence to be your normal? I know we're in this new normal phase. How many of you are sick of hearing that? <laughs> and maybe our new normal is the fact that God wants us to learn how to dwell. Not just visit with Him, 
Not just go every once in a while, not, but, but to dwell with Him. I didn't say you're always going to feel on cloud nine. I didn't say you, you weren't going to go through some, some ups and some downs, some hills and some valleys, some, some, some heartache and some things that you have to deal with. I didn't say anything, but I've learned like David's learned that when I am there, I'm not by myself. I get little reminders that says, I'm not alone, that you are with me, Right? Your rod and your staff. Even when I can't see your face, I know your rod and your staff are right there. That you are with me. Which brings us to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a very, another very famous passage of Scripture that we all love so dearly. And if y'all can handle it, I'm going to read the whole thing. Can y'all handle 16 verses of, of God's Holy Word today? Good, good. I was afraid y'all were going to say, no, pastor, chicken's already calling early this morning. <laughs> yeah, I know where y'all go after. I've been stalking y'all. I've been, no, I, I know. I know how it is. But Psalm 91, I want you to go there. I want you to learn some sec- a secret here. A secret for a reason, because it's called the secret place. Do you realize that the Old Testament tabernacle uh, we'll, I'll show you a picture of it here in a minute. You probably remember from last week or you've seen it before. But the Old Testament tabernacle has an innermost chamber, an innermost room to it called the Holy of Holies. Do you realize that's called the secret place? It's called the secret place. It's, it's, we're going to get there. We're going to learn how to dwell with God and how that leads us to the secret place. But we're going to first talk about this and go to the bronze or the brazen altar first and see what that means in our life today and how that brings us into the secret place. So Psalm 91. <clears throat> he who dwells in the... He who visits. He who comes by every once in a while the secret place. He who sets up and just when it's important, Easter and Christmas <laughs> goes to the secret place. He who dwells. If nothing else, you're going to get that before these next four weeks are up. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say... Of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. For a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. There's the key to the whole thing right there. For no evil shall befall you, you shall pl- you shall, nor shall any plague come near your 
dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In your hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and upon the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Anybody like snakes? <laughs> just, just wondering if you've ever tried that out. I don't know. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Ooh. You realize that God's got all of this set up for you? I don't deserve honoring, but yet he has set this up for a reason. And with long life, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation what an incredible promise all hinging on those who learn to dwell with him those who learn to live with him those who learn to dwell with him those that learn that he is your everything we put so much stock in stuff and things and and and, and they can all be gone in the matter of a second but we have to learn to put our trust and our dwelling in Him. The Old Testament tabernacle was simply that. It was a symbol, a sign, and a system that showed His people that He was always with them. And any time they needed to come to Him, there was a way to do so. It's called the sacrifice. I don't know. Great, he got me all excited and he said the word sacrifice. No one in here likes to sacrifice too much, do we? But every parent has done so. If you have, say amen. amen. Everybody who has been a husband or a wife, there's been times that you've probably sacrificed, right? Say amen, but not so loud that your husband or wife thinks that you did it so when not wanted to. We all learn that, that, that lesson of life in, in, in learning how to sacrifice. In fact, that's... Uh, if I'm doing premarital counseling, the first thing I do is sit them down and I basically say, hey, guess what? Life's not about you anymore. <laughs> and all of a sudden we realize that, oh, love has another side to it? Absolutely, love has another side to it. And then you have kids and you realize life really is not about you anymore. Right? You have these big plans for your day and you realize, no, you have to go buy a turtle tank and set it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, my big plan for the day was to hook the, uh, the steam unit up to the, the dryer that we've got. That was a big plan. But, but, but we love to do so because we learn the value of realizing that every time we sacrifice and we give of ourselves, it actually grows exponentially in something that gives us more life in return. What I'm saying by this is that I took care of his diapers whenever he was young, but now that I'm sacrificing every day and I get to a place where I'm in diapers again, guess what they have to do? <laughs> Isn't life... <laughs> right? <laughs> no, the bottom line is, is we must learn the value of sacrifice 
And it's a value that God himself set up and set up in such a way it was to teach us that it was actually first. It was first. Can you show the, temp, the tabernacle picture like the colored? The, there you go. There, if you don't remember from last week, if you've slept since then and you need a refresher, here it is. The picture of the Old Testament tabernacle in the wilderness. They would set this thing up whenever God would show them where to do so. They set all of this up and you can probably see, not maybe not real clear because uh, it's a little bit fuzzy, but right there at the very front, the very beginning, that big box looking thing, that is the brazen altar. Another name for it, the altar of burnt offering. Another name for it, the altar of of sacrifice. Um, that was the very first thing that anyone were to come to if they were to go into worship at the tabernacle. And this would happen at any point in time that you needed God to do something for you. And it happened at also points in times that you wanted to give God thanks for what he's done for you. It also would happen at points in times in which you realized you needed redemption, you needed help, you needed a blessing, you needed Him to touch you, you needed Him to heal you, you needed Him to help you, you needed Him to purify a sin or something in your life. Anytime you needed Him, you would go to the tabernacle and that you would present your offering there to the, to the priest, and the priest would take that offering, whatever version or form it was, whether it was a, a dove or it was a sheep or a goat or an oxen or whatever, you would present that, and then they would take that, and it would ultimately go to that, that sac altar of sacrifice, that brazen altar. Hit the next slide, if you would. Just to kind of show, there it is in the very front of the tabernacle down here at the bottom very first thing that you would see is the very first thing that you would notice as you not only walk in but walk up to the tabernacle because the smoke was always rising. In fact, the fire could never go out. By law and command of God himself, do not let this fire go out ever. Even when you're packing up, even when you're moving, even when you're supposed to be going to sleep, even when you're through the night seasons, through the rain, through the, through the bad times, always keep this fire lit. It reminds me of uh, the Apostle Paul telling Timothy, hey, you want to know a big secret on how to stay firm and consistent and strong in your ministry? Keep stirring the gift. Keep stirring that gift, and that will always make sure that your fire stays lit. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, stir up the gift that was given to you. Now, there's been a lot of speculation on what that gift was, but I think Apostle Paul was telling Timothy, you know, you have a gift, son, and that gift was given to you by Jesus Christ. And it starts with the gift of salvation. Stir that gift of salvation up on a daily basis. Rhetorical, don't answer back unless you want to. How many of you thank God every single day for your salvation? How many of you every single day give God praise for what He's done for you in salvation? Give God glory for the fact that He took you when you were not worthy and yet He made you His righteousness. How incredible is that? He didn't just make you good enough. He made you his 
Righteousness. Stir that gift up. Instead of stirring up the gift of poor woe is me and look at all the things that are wrong in my life, why don't you on a daily basis stir that gift up and see how it will help you? There's a lot of people right now really feeling bad and sorry for themselves. And I get it. I understand. that you Believe it or not, that is a trick of the enemy. That is one of Satan's tricks. He loves beating on your head and telling you how bad you are and how bad life is and the fact that your, your kitchen gets flooded with water at 10 o'clock at night. He wants to say these things and say, oh, poor woe is me. And before you know it, we'll take one little thing. Well, he didn't, he didn't smile at me the way he smiled at somebody else. He didn't shake my hand the way he shook other, somebody else's hand and That other person was blessed more than I was blessed. And I've been serving God for 10 years longer than they've been serving. And you'll take one little thing. One little thing before you know it. It's turned into a really big thing. And you're in a really bad mood and attitude about that. You'll go to a store. I'm not going to name that store. But you know the one I'm talking about when you grab the buggy. And it goes like this. And the first thing you think of is, poor woe is me. I'm always the one that gets the bad buggy, right? And you'll start looking at everybody else's buggies. Well, theirs doesn't do what mine does. Yes, it does. They all do it. (laughs) Every single one. The point is this. You've got to learn to put on that helmet of salvation. And you've got to learn to lead into your day with that every single day. And don't. Let that fire go out. You realize that that fire was actually first given by God Himself. The book of Leviticus says when they had set the whole tabernacle up for the first time and they started to get it all ready to go, that from heaven came a fire and it fell upon the altar and consumed the very first sacrifice. If you read in the book of Revelation, you'll find where that fire came from. The fire that sits before His throne at the altar of incense. That from that altar, from that place where your prayers are heard, fire came. You realize that this tabernacle came because the cries of of God's people were heard by God. They were in slavery. God heard their cries and says, I want to get them out. But not only do I want to get them out, but I want to get them out and teach them how to live. I want them to know me. And so that's what had happened. He set up this worship system to teach the people how to approach God. And the very first thing to approach would be altar of sacrifice. Seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet by four and a half feet. Really large, in fact, the largest piece of furniture in the entire tabernacle system. So large that the rest of all of the other utensils or furniture pieces would fit inside of it. Did you get what I said? The rest of all of those 
furniture pieces would fit inside of that. The rest of all of those things that the priest would work with would fit inside of that. Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. When he says rest, he didn't say you can kick back in and not ever have to work again. That's not the point. I mean, I says, oh, no. Right? He said, that's not the point. He says, rest, because he says, take my yoke and my burden on you for they're light and they're easy. Right? Take them on you. He says, there is a way to live. There's a way to dwell. And it's learning and resting in His sacrifice. So many times I try to do it in my own strength and in my own power. And I always get in trouble when I do that. I try to serve God in my own ability. And I get in trouble by doing that. I've got to first learn how to come to Him and realize that every ability I have in the first place is given by Him. Everything I have is given by Him. If someone would have said when I was 14 or 15 that I would be a preacher, I would have laughed at you because I didn't want that ability. I didn't want the ability to get up and speak in front of people. I like playing sports because I could hide behind the stuff. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? I could hide in the midst of the team. I could hide in the stuff. I could hide in the pads. I could hide in all of this other stuff. I, I was cool just being in the background. I was fine. Whenever our high school plays did their, their musicals, I liked the spotlight. Not on the stage, but showing the spotlight on them. I would much rather do that than be in the spotlight. And when God shows up at 16 and says, Ha ha, I got a job for you. I say, Are you kidding me? Are you serious? This is not what I wanted for me. And then I realized, well, maybe my life's not about only me. And the first sacrifice was set up where God asked me, are you going to do this just for you? Or are you going to do this for me? And you know what? In all of the days where I've struggled with do I still want to do this or not? Can I be transparent before you? That's not today. Y'all are okay. But there's been seasons and times in my life where I went home and I thought, mm, do I still want to do this? Is this still is this still my path for me? There have been times I thought, God, are you finished with me? And then I realized something. I realize that my calling and my gift to do this is not about me in the first place. It's about a God that deserves every gift that can be sewn back into Him to build His kingdom that I can possibly have. If it's a gift to cook, I'll do it. If it's a gift to build, I'll do it. If it's a gift to, to vacuum the floor, I'll do it. If it's a gift to mow the yard, I'll do it. Whatever gift I've got, God deserves it to be returned back to Him to build His kingdom for His namesake. Because there is no such way to approach God except through the sacrifice. But that's good news for you and me. Because we have a sacrifice. Somebody says, He's already taken up the offering once today. Is He going to do it again? No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who made us able to approach 
God. By meeting with us first thing in our worship. In our system of coming to God. He's the first thing that we meet. The first thing that makes us who we are. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to tell you to go to Exodus 27, 1 through 8. Write that down. Read about the brazen altar. You can read about all of the, the dimensions and all of the ins and the outs of it. Right? If you're taking notes, do that. But you will see that this brazen altar was biggest furniture. It was also uh, it was also covered in bronze. It was also the place where we know that the sacrifice was to be laid on. But what I want to get to is why a sacrifice? Why a sacrifice? Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? You know, it sounds kind of in, in a in a in a life in a world that is hard, anyways. How many of y'all realize life's hard sometimes? I'm going to ask you this again around tax season, and how many of you will say, Amen? <laughs> you look at your, who's FICA? But he's taking that money. He's taking a, th no, I don't know. Life is hard anyways, and you would think, my goodness, in the, in the midst of, of, of life that's hard, why already the sacrifice at the very beginning? What's the deal with the sacrifice? And what does that have to do with us dwelling? Tell you, it has everything to do with you being able to dwell. Sacrifice has, has to do with everything in life, period. I know we enjoy the fruits of some labor, but you realize that somebody had to labor for that? Say amen, I'll preach faster. Okay? I live in a house. Guess what? Even though I love watching... Aladdin with my boys that didn't happen by a magic genie showing up one day did it people had to work and had to slave and had to sweat and had to blood and had the tears to get it there that had to be paid for by more blood sweat and tears to get there and where I was working to pay for that there was someone over me that was working to make sure that it would all work. And then over them was someone else watching over the whole thing to make sure that the whole company would stay in working order so that my boss would have a working order so that I could come under that and have a working order so that that working order would lead to another order and help me to have life. I know this is Sunday and I know everybody's going to take a nap, but... You probably don't want to hear about this nasty word called work. But the fact of the matter is, is it's a system that was set up because we messed up. And you go all the way back in the garden, you realize that God had set them in this garden. And in this garden, He had set some boundaries as if to say, if you work inside of these boundaries, you'll never have to want for anything. You'll never really have to work by the sweat of your brow. You, everything will be great. Everything will be wonderful. And everybody in here goes, thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, right? And we realized that it was in that that 
moment that they stepped outside the bounds of what God had set to take and trust themselves and their curiosity more so than God's Word and His command that life became broken. Life became broken. What I mean by that is this. The fellowship with God was broken at that moment. The moment that they took God not for His Word, fellowship with God became broken. When fellowship became broken, their, their source of life became broken. There was a brokenness between them and their source. Because to know God is to know love. To know God is to know peace. To know God is to know joy. To know God is to know life. To know God is to know Him at light. To know God is to know life. In fact, outside of Him, there really is no other life. Right? And it was in that brokenness that they decided to go to a tree and break a tree and get the fig leaves off of that tree and sew a little loincloth and get that to cover themselves because they said that their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked. And they became ashamed at that. They became ashamed of that because the covering of the fellowship of God had been lifted off of them. So they decided to work it out themselves and they went to a tree and they broke some limbs off and they sewed some fig leaves together and voila, you now have the first fad and fashion. The first loincloth that was probably pretty itchy at first. And it says that apparently it wasn't good enough because when God came down, when truth showed up, they hid. And God walks through the garden saying, hey, where are you at? Like he didn't know. And what God was doing was trying to get them to understand where they are because he had already understood where they are. And when he pulls them out of the bushes and says, I see you're, I see you're trying out a new girdle, right? They looked at it and realized that they'd messed up. And obviously, what's the first thing that they do? Her fault. And she says, snake's fault. And they start pointing fingers. And they start blaming everybody else. You ever, ever noticed that it's so easy in your brokenness to hurt and blame everybody else around you? It is. And so as God looks at that fig tree fig leaf as God looks at that he realizes that your way of doing this is not what's going to work because that leaf that you've broken off of that tree it will dry up and when it dries up it will crackle and it will fall to pieces so what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide a new and living way for you and he gets a living sacrifice the Bible says God Himself takes a living sacrifice and makes for them a new covering or cloak or tunic that covers way more of their body than the fig leaf ever did. And it was a setup 
to show us that when brokenness will lead to more brokenness, but life and the giving of life will lead to more life. And so he sets this system up where there must be at very first a sacrifice. A sacrifice that's given. Life must be given so that life could be given. Anybody who's ever studied anatomy and physiology and understand where babies come from must understand that. For life to come, life must be given. Right? Life begets life. Death can't give life. Life must give life. So that points to us Jesus Christ, the perfect life that came as a gift given to us. And somebody says, well, wait a minute, he died for us. Yes, he did. He gave his life. He didn't just die. He gave his life. You understand? Jesus said it himself. He says, he says no man takes this life from me. I give this life. I lay it down. And I willfully lay it down for why? So that I, he could give you the reoccurring life. Jesus shows us that the way to have life is through sacrifice. I know it's an oxymoron, but it's kind of like love. Okay, it's a lot like love. And if everybody in here was absolutely full of love, turn to your neighbor and say, that's me. <laughs> Careful who you say that to. Right? That's me. Okay, if we were all absolutely full to the brim of love, but we never gave any of it out, what would happen? There would be no life happening at all. You want to know how to dwell with God forever? You first start by his sacrifice. There's no approach to God without sacrifice. And God understands that our way of doing things is not enough. There's a huge break between his fellowship and our fellowship, in his life and our life. There's this huge gap, this huge break. And we try to break more things by fixing it. We try to fix it and we end up breaking more things and more branches and more leaves and it doesn't work like that. That's why one of the reasons why Jesus, before He went to the cross, looked at the fig tree and said, I curse you. It's not going to work that way any longer. I was hungry. You didn't give me the fruit I wanted. You're cursed. You dry up. You're gone. Because I'm about to hang myself on a tree and allow my body to be broken so that you can take and eat and remember me in a way that will give you life. Because I lay it down for you. Jesus says to His disciples, no greater love can anyone have than this, that He lay down His life for 
his friends. We have a lot of people that's wanting a lot of peace in our world today, but they're wanting to do so not by laying down a life of peace, but by trying to make a mockery of what justice and love and truth is really all about. We have to be very careful. Doing it in our own strength and in our way is not going to work. But doing it God's way, it works. It works. I'm out of time, Jill, so we're not going to get into those other passages of Scripture. But I want to close by a little story. True story. Some of you know it. So as a reminder, those of you that know it, those of you that don't, then it's going to be new for you. But what grace is, is not, it, it is unmerited favor. We all agree to that, right? That's what's wonderful. It's a wonderful definition of grace. It's unmerited favor. But even deeper than that, grace fills a deficit. Somebody look at your bank account and say amen. Grace fills a deficit. Grace makes up what I can't do. Grace shows up and does what I can't do. Grace fills a void that I can't fill up. Grace looked at the gap and the brokenness between my fellowship and his fellowship, between my life and his life, and filled it up. So what you need to do is think about what are all the deficits you have in your life. And then every single day, if you're going to dwell with him, every single day you depend on him to fill that up. And you will learn that God will do more than what you could ever do. God can do more in a split second than you could do in a lifetime. But it is when those, those lives come together and do something together that incredible things happen. The story I want to tell you is this. is In my calling where God said, do this. And I wrestled with it. And I said, are you sure? Okay. I don't know. Yes. Okay. I don't know. You act like you've been holy in, all through your life and you've never wrestled with anything. But I did. I wrestled with it. And it was in that wrestling that I simply asked God, how could you use this life who does not want all of that spotlight and that attention? How could you use this life to, to build your kingdom? How? Somebody say, be careful what you ask for. Because it was in my prayer time of that that I found out with the accident that happened on the baseball field where I was knocked unconscious. Do you remember that? <laughs> I was knocked unconscious and laying there on, at home plate. And if Coach Hatley were to be watching this, I'm the only, only one that could ever say that I could turn a black man white. That's what... I'm not kidding, because when I woke up, he was white as a sheet looking over me. And there's only a few things I remember about that day. 
after I got in the, the paddy wagon and started heading to the hospital, a few more things come back. But for that span of time, the only few things that I remember at all. Now, I had heard that a five-foot-two woman was about to scale the fence, that being my mom. But the only few thing, one of the only few things I remember is when I, when I did get a chance to sit up, and they did sit me up, I looked around third base, and I noticed all of my teammates huddled around praying at third base. And it was with that flash of an image that I had in my mind that they packed me away and shoved me off in the, in, in the paddy wagon and took me to the hospital. And once the cloudiness lifted and I began to praise God for bringing me through it God showed me something and he showed me something by the next few days where people that I knew and had known a lot of my life had come to me in the days after that and came to me and said you know what because of your little accident, it made me realize that if you were going to die then, you would have went to heaven. And it made me look at my life and think, I don't know if I would. There were two others that came to me and said, would you please pray, pray for me and pray for my family. And it was after all of that that I'm trying to figure out, okay, my goodness, God, what is the deal about this? And God taught me in that moment this very important thing. Just be available every single day. Because while I was laid out, God was at work. And God was doing more by me being laid out than I could ever do to preach for Him. The purpose of my calling was not to be a preacher. The purpose of my calling was to lead people closer to God in however way I can do so. And Jesus taught me right then and there, just trust me. And no matter where you're at in your life, no matter how, how you are or how you're not, let me be the deficit and watch me work in ways that you can't do. You can't change their life, but I can. Just let me use you to do so. This is not about what you can do or you can't do. This is about what Jesus Christ has already done. This is about a life that He chose to live for you, give for you, and then come back to life for you to make sure that you have the ability to always receive it. Now, if you want to learn how to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, you must first start with that. Can we all please stand? I found out how God can do more in my weakness than I can in my strength. I think Apostle Paul found that out too. 
Whereas if he is saying, God, I've prayed three times for this weakness, this thorn in my flesh to go away because Paul felt like this thorn was hindering him from taking it to the next level and living at the next level for the glory of God. And God's response... God's response to this day still blows a lot of people away. When God responded and said, I'm not taking that thorn away. And you know as well as I know, there was a part of Paul that said, right now, everybody, every one of you in here, including me, has a, has a weakness somewhere. And the enemy wants to use it to say, see, you can't approach God. You can't dwell with a holy God. You have to be perfect for that. And because of the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us, he gave us a grace that fills that void up with himself that fills the deficit that we have. Also that you can live for Him. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is David. It wasn't perfect either. But he learned. He learned how to walk under the shadow of the Almighty God. And we've been given a grace. Now, I'm going to ask you, how many of you every single day take advantage of that grace on purpose? That's how you begin dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And the enemy says, you're, you're not perfect, but grace is. But grace is. I've also learned that if, if the enemy says that, then he's a liar. And if that's the lie, what's the truth? I want to pray for all of you. I want to pray that every single day, that tomorrow when you wake up, today when you go home, that from this point on, you take advantage of grace every single day. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you because you looked at me and you said, even though, even though I'm not perfect, you looked at me and said that I was perfect for you. Father, I want to dwell with you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to be with you. I want to feel your presence. I want to feel your arms around me. I want to feel sheltered underneath your wings. I want to know that I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because fear has tried to grip me over and over and over again. And I'm tired of the fear holding me back. I want to know that there is more 
to this life than just breaking off fig leaf after fig leaf after fig leaf trying to cover my own self and my own messes and my own stuff. I want to know that there's a bigger covering. I want to know that there is something greater like life covering me. Jesus, I pray every single day, no matter what the enemy says, no matter how my heart feels, no matter how my mind thinks, I pray every single day I begin with this. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood, for the mercy, for the grace given by your sacrifice, for you laying your life down on the altar of a cross so that I may live abundantly. I want to thank you I want to thank you, Jesus, for salvation. I want to thank you that your blood never fails me. I want to thank you. I want to thank you that your gift is something I need to stir up every single day. I want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for the life that you have given to me to show me that you can do more in my weakness than I could ever do in my strength. Lord, I will choose every day to be grateful for your sacrifice. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless everyone. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. Have a blessed day. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.